You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash crimes, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash crimes to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash crimes. Cups up, everyone. Cups up. Well, how are you guys doing? Good question, because this has been a really (laughs) crazy week. Gerard Price, so he's still at large, right? Yes, he is. Mm -hmm. Todd claimed yesterday that he hadn't spoken to him. uh, I think it was Monday was the last time he spoke to him. He didn't speak to him after the Supreme Court argument. And assuming right now he is on the lam, as they say. What a surprise, right? I mean, Mandy, you look surprised. Who called it? (laughs) (laughs) She also said something neat. Mandy said, you know, why are we paying for the reward for Gerard Price when, you know, we're not the ones that let him go. Right. Yeah. So I guess this could uh, lead us into a couple other things. Something that's really bothered me, someone on Twitter um, was messaging me the other day and saying, this seems so wrong because after the Supreme Court hearing, we are not only, we're just punishing Gerard and no one else Like, it just seems very backwards. It seems, again, like cutting off a branch of the tree and the whole tree's corrupt and we're not fixing the problem. And and still, like, Gerard's long gone. We're we're not, they're probably not going to find him. (laughs) Like, let's be, let's be real about that. But the question is, whose liability is it? Whose fault is it? And will they be held accountable? Because this is, this is really bad. I mean, in a way, it's kind of like, just like a guard, like opening up a prisoner's door and letting them out. And then what always happens to the guard? We've seen those stories before. They always end up getting going to jail and, and whatnot. Like, this is just really, 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 really wrong. But I think accountability is going to come, Mandy. I think it sometimes it's not as rapid as we want. But I think Judge Manning, unfortunately, his legacy is going to be tarnished. I also think that over time... You know, Todd Rutherford may feel a little bit of the backlash from some of the judges. It may affect whether he's going to be retained on certain cases. We won't know that. And certainly the voters will have an opportunity to pass judgment on 
Byron Gibson at the next election cycle. So accountability comes. It doesn't come sometimes as, as fast as we would want it. But I think uh, Judge Manning, wherever he is right now, is probably a little shell-shocked how this happened around him. And he wasn't here to either make a public statement or hire a lawyer to make a statement for him. And I feel bad for him for that because he did give 30 years of his time to the state. And, you know, we're always judged by our last act in life. That's just the way it is, you know, Liz. So why do you say he wasn't here? Wasn't that by choice? I think he either is visiting usually his children out west. I know he expressed he wanted to go uh, move to Phoenix, Arizona. So when I say not here, meaning not in the news or on camera, I don't know where he was. So one of the things I want to talk about with Gerard Price in that case and sort of how this all materialized, I think you're right, Eric. I do think that we will see consequence at some point. But it's not enough. The voters, yes, we absolutely do hold people accountable for what they've done in office, but it's too slow. And dare I say, I think that a special prosecutor should be appointed to look into this, kind of the way it was with the Quinn case, which interestingly enough this week, the last defendants in the Quinn case were sentenced by Judge Carmen Mullen. Uh, It was pretty tough sentencing. One of them was given a choice between six months in prison or paying a fine of $500, which I think you guys know which one he chose. The other one, I think he got 100 hours of community service. And there was another one, I think, just a little bit ago. And I think he just got 18 months of home confinement. So these are the types of punishments that they're getting. For political corruption. For political corruption, correct. And I do think that we need to appoint a special prosecutor in this case. And I think Attorney General Alan Wilson needs to take a very strong stand on this because it The Quinn thing happened while he was in office, and he was highly criticized for his handling of that. And look at where we're at. You know, we can't keep saying like, this is, this is, we're making progress, things are getting better. And I saw this on Twitter right before I got on here, somebody posted that like, the whole world is watching right now. And this is how they're acting. Like this, this isn't even like them putting on their best outfit. Like they're just, they don't care. So something has to happen on a a major level, I think. Yeah. And I think, I mean, Eric, you have talked about how important momentum is. And I know that these things take time, but at the same time, momentum is so crucial. And as the world is watching, we just need assurance that the people in charge of holding those accountable for wrongdoing among elected officials are doing their jobs. And I feel like we have, and we've seen enough in the last few years so that like the, the government doesn't get the benefit of the doubt anymore. There are so many people at this point that it's like, okay, you let that slide, you let that slide. We're still waiting on that investigation. We're still waiting on that investigation. It just seems like they're just pushing it under the rug versus actually dealing with it and holding people accountable. And again, I I just think back of like so many times that I have read police reports of people doing a whole lot less and getting immediately arrested, people with a lot less power. And with the consequences of their actions being minimum to nothing. And this is really, really bad as far as the potential consequences. Well, we'll see quickly. You know, if you listen to the Supreme Court arguments, which I found were so fascinating, and we'll get into them. It was, if you're a wonk, legal wonk like I am, to really 
enjoy good lawyering. It was really good lawyering and good, robust questions by the judges. The judges were almost telling the legislature, clean this up. If you don't want a murderer to get some kind of concession off a sentence, clean it up. And I almost thought that I would see some kind of bill introduced Thursday morning by somebody in the House or Senate, you know, trying to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And I'm hopeful it comes this week so that we don't have this kind of situation again, that if there is going to be any time where somebody is a convicted felon and they're going to give post-convicted cooperation, that there are certain prophylactic measures that have to take place. Number one, no secret hearings, no secret orders. AG has to be notified. Bureau of Prison uh, Department of Corrections has to be notified. Something where this doesn't have to, will never happen again. Don't you guys agree? I do agree. But, you know, I'm probably the conspiracy theorist here right now, which typically I'm not. I think that the whole point of this was to create a precedent that would allow somebody who could get out on a murder charge so that a murder charge doesn't necessarily put you away for life or for most of your life. Do those initials say AM? AM? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Sometimes there's an R in front of it. I just think it's, I think the timing of it is strange. I, I really do. And I think that Picking Gerard Price was almost like picking a guinea pig for an experiment because he didn't do anything great in prison. And in fact, he did the opposite. Beyond uh, the nature of that order and all the attachments to it were so scattershot, there was no consistency to it. There was no, literally, you have three different people saying three different reasons why this guy should get out early. And he hasn't done anything since 2017 when he let... When he helped with Jimmy Causey. So allegedly helped with Jimmy Causey. Yeah. Why did it take six years to do this, right? Right. So why do they then they have this order, right, in December? And then they sit on it for three they sit on it until the week after Alec Murdoch is sentenced to two life terms in prison. And then he's he's released. And you know, what happened in the Supreme Court uh during the oral arguments, that was not setting precedent or not, you know, that wasn't about the precedent. That was a, simply about the procedure. This wasn't done correctly according to the law. It was about the process. So did you guys do you guys think that Todd Rutherford I mean, I know he's not he says he's not hired by Price right now. He does he's not representing Price right now. But do you think that they could come back and try this again? I mean, granted he's he's out of, you know, he's on the lamb, but do you think that would have been the next step had he turned himself in? Yeah, that he'd give it a, a redo. Probably. Probably. With a straight face. Yeah, I think that they would. I think he would do it again. But you know, it was procedurally defective, not they didn't pass judge on the merits of letting a murderer, you know, commute a 35 years since the 19, they they reversed it based on procedural uh, mistakes. So right now, I guess Todd Rutherford just had a press conference this afternoon urging Price to turn himself in. Is that right? What? Did- <laughs> oh my God, guys. Like, I mean, we... I think it's just, there's a little bit of vindication this past week again. Like every time I think that like what we're seeing, like are we making too much out of it or are we seeing, you know, something behind every bush when there isn't. And it's just like, it just proves that we're, we're, we're not the crazy ones. So I don't know at what point I start to believe that. Well, let me ask this question. What does Todd think? I mean, Todd said on Wednesday to the Supreme Court, well, if you bring him back, 
and you put him back in prison, it's a death sentence. Well, what did he think is going to happen when he's out? And he has to explain to whoever his compatriots are or people find out he had a 35-year sentence and he's out in 19 years. Isn't somebody going to ask questions on the outside like, hey, Gerard, how did you get out on a murder charge when it's day for day? Isn't he, doesn't he have the same threat on his life that way that he did if he has to go back to prison? I mean, it didn't make sense to me. You're saying that somebody would be like, how did you get special treatment? Right. Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I think more than that, after Byron Gibson put out that this guy gave information on the Bloods, that would cause a little bit of problems. I mean, I would think that would cause some problems for him more than anything else. But I, I'll be interested to see if he leaves the country because he's been in prison. So, I mean, what does he have a passport? Like, what, how's he, where can he go? You know? Right. And are those pictures that we're seeing of him from like, before he was in prison, does anybody know that? What, the ones where he's smiling in the yellow suit? Yeah, or not the yellow suit. No, he's wearing like a hoodie. The ones where he's like, yeah, in a hoodie outside of a building. Like, is that is that like the last couple of weeks or is that 20 years ago? No, 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 that's recent because he was 23 when he was put in prison. That's what I would think, yeah. but... It's hard to tell because when you've been in prison for a while, I think you're afforded some opportunities like taking Christmas photos, you know, in the visitation room and such. So I didn't, I couldn't tell if he was outside or if he was just in some sort of industrial room. But yeah, that looked like he was, he's already like, look, unless he rush ordered a passport, he doesn't have one or it's, or he has a fake one. So he's going to be somebody somewhere in this country. And, uh, I think, you know, maybe he'll be caught. Uh, the $5,000 thing, though, what did you guys think about the victim's family standing behind Sheriff Leon Lott in a, in a press conference talking about the the reward that's being offered? I, I, it kind of left a bad taste in my mouth because this is not the Smalls family's problem. And they, they shouldn't be used as some sort of mechanism to clean up the mess that the state made, you know? It's also not the Richland County taxpayer's problem. Like, I, that just really made me angry. And it, I applaud Leon Lott for saying something and doing something about this. But at the same time, again, accountability really, really, really matters here. And just having the taxpayers try to clean up the mess um, by offering a reward from taxpayer money, it's just, it's not right. This is their fault. And this should not have happened to begin with. And that's what everyone needs to focus on. This isn't a Sheriff Lott's feet, though. I will tell you, he's a wonderful uh, sheriff, and he has spent his entire career gang busting. It, it's what he ran on and what he has done, and so much of what has taken place in Richland County, we don't even know about. But he is really, there was a time a couple of years ago where we were having trouble keeping police chiefs in the city of Columbia, and they were actually saying, turn over the police department to Sheriff Lott not only the county sheriff's department, but the city police department. He's that good uh, and that serious about getting rid of gangs. So I know he's mad as, as all get-go that this happened. Oh, for sure. Do you think $5,000, though, is enough for somebody to give information on somebody like Gerard Price? No way. What would be your price? How much? <laughs> it's kind of funny, by the way, and I don't. I haven't brought this up yet, but the, the, his last name is Price. And sort of like... You know, price to pay, yeah. Price then, like, right. 
what was the yeah exactly the price was right like what he basically you know presumably bought his way out of prison and i'm not talking about bribes people i'm talking about the money that uh todd rutherford presumably would have been paid for this but what would be your price eric to give information on where gerard price was there could i I wouldn't put myself at risk that way yeah mandy well it just depends because you know five thousand dollars to some people is a lot more money than it is to other people like so five thousand dollars might really put change someone's life um but at the same time when you're risking your life and your family's lives and i'm sure everyone realizes that in this situation it needs to be more and it's, it's just, again, it's, but it should not be paid for by the taxpayers. So who should put it up? Todd. I think Todd. I think Byron Gibson and Judge Manning. Yeah, I think that, I think that would be. And I think they, honestly, like, if we're going to charge people for hiring cops to, you know, handle a block party, like stand guard at a block party, then maybe we should charge Todd Rutherford Byron Gibson and Judge Casey Manning for the time that law enforcement is spending on cleaning up this mess of theirs. Right. Let's wait till we hear from Casey Manning first. Um, We've already heard from Todd Rutherford and we've already heard from Byron Gibson. So I don't fault you for that, but I want to hear from uh, Judge Manning. I feel like we did hear from him, and I'll, I'll tell you this, Eric. In the, I think the order stands for itself. I think the order that is a flimsy order attached to an addendum that does not match up with the two affidavits. I've heard from Casey Manning that, and that's I know I don't know him personally the way you do. So, and I obviously I don't think I could speak to his scope of work because I would say that his name came on my radar in relation to the Murdoch case. So. But from my perspective, I feel like I've heard enough from him. I don't know that there's anything he could say right now that wouldn't make me think that it was either, you know, as they say, corruption or incompetence, and neither one looks good. So he can say that Todd lied to him. He can say that Byron lied to him. But at the end of the day, you signed an order based on two affidavits that don't even match up to your addendum that explain what what your the basis for your decision was. So that I don't understand. Plus, you sealed... The order, which is not something that I would hope most judges would do uh, in a criminal case like this. And it's about a convicted murderer and a very dangerous inmate. Like, it, this isn't somebody signing to get, like, if somebody just happened to be in jail for weed for 20 years and, you know, there is a... Three strikes you're out, right? Right. Or something like that. Like that that could be understandable. But if if it's if you're dealing with a murderer and if you're dealing with somebody who has the potential to be very, very dangerous toward the society that you protect and toward the society that toward the people that you are in charge of protecting. There's no excuses. You should read every addendum. You should read. You should thoroughly understand what's going on. And there are major, major problems that anyone with any basic common sense reading that should have been able to flag. And so I, I have an issue with giving Judge Manning the benefit of the doubt at this point because I think that if there were something for him to say, he would have said it by now. And the more time that passes and the more silent that he is, the the worse it gets. I will agree on that. We'll be right back. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people who had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Want to temporarily restore definition in your jawline where it's been lost over time? With Juvederm Volux XC, you can get a non-surgical jawline treatment that adds volume for smooth contour and to reduce the appearance of jowls in one in-office treatment with little downtime. Juvederm Volux XC injectable gel is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injections like redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Let's talk about the Supreme Court, though. I, I want to start with Todd Rutherford. Do you think that he made a convincing argument, uh, given that there was a 3-2 split? I mean, it wasn't unanimous. The Supreme Court didn't come back and say, we all agree that you screwed up, that this was a mess up, and then, like, this is a big problem. Only three of the justices agreed with that, agreed with the state, luckily. But do you think that the arguments that Todd made uh, in front of the Supreme Court, first of all, I, I thought he was incredibly smart. And I really, like you said, Eric, I mean, it was it was so easy to get so nerdy in that just because you're trying to find, like you could just see the justices trying to find their way in to how is this going to be our problem to fix? Like, what makes this our problem? What What is the jurisdiction there? And it felt like at a certain point, I think it was Justice James who was trying to say that it was the state's problem, meaning not just the state, but Alan Wilson's problem, that at the end of the day, Alan Wilson was responsible for this. What were your thoughts just just in general on, on, what, on how Todd did and, and what his main argument was? I thought he was um, extremely good at advocacy, and I did not expect him to be that good. I also didn't expect the questions to be so robust from all the justices. And if you remember, these appellate arguments are timed. Your arguments are either 15 or 30 minutes, and you, you have a green light, a yellow light, and a red light. And when that red light goes off, you stop. And these justices did not want to stop when the red light went off. And so that told me that this is such an important matter that they recognize not only from a legal standpoint, do we have to get it legally right, but the public is watching 
and that our justice system is in jeopardy here. I, I, I saw it all hanging by a thread. It was uh, something that I don't think we'll ever see again like that, because usually there there's one or two justices that uh, ask a lot of questions. John Pugh asks a lot of questions. I went to law school with him. Justice Kittredge is a guy that asks a lot of questions, but uh, Justice Hill usually doesn't ask that much, and Justice Beatty doesn't ask that much, and Justice Beatty asks a lot of questions. Um, I thought Alan Wilson was really amazing. The alacrity which he went from one statute to the other and he weaved them and he was able to say to the judge, I disagree with you that it is not authority. It is a jurisdiction question. And he did it in a way not to offend. And, you know, we're seeing a law- we're seeing Alan Wilson lawyer lately. It would have been nice if we've seen this kind of lawyering from him for during his tenure. It was just uh, from a lawyer standpoint, it was a Super Bowl of lawyering. That's all I'll say. I can totally, I totally agree with you. I, I, I could see that. Justice Beatty is the chief justice. So obviously, not to say that his opinion is any more important, but certainly you would look to him to set the tone of what the court is thinking on this. Were you surprised that he seemed to be, during his questioning and as it turned out in his vote, siding with Todd Rutherford? Yeah, I need to honestly watch more Supreme Court justice. I, that, that was the first one that I've watched within South Carolina. So I don't know how it usually is, but I did hear people that were more familiar with the process say that sometimes they do ask questions that are just trying to get things on the record. And it sounds like they're against the person, but really they're just trying to get their questions on the record and get the person to say that. So it's a little confusing how that works, but I want to go back for a minute and say like how we're all describing how it went and what went down, but what a day that was before uh, everything happened. Do you think they predetermined their decisions? Because usually when you have oral argument, then you go back and a clerk will maybe write an opinion and then pass it around. And if there is somebody on the fence you know, some justices will go lobby each other. And this seems such like so, so many different legal arguments that could either justify letting the sentence be reduced or legal arguments to go against it being reduced. That I was surprised that the decision came down that fast. Like you asked me, I think it was uh, David uh, asked me, and I said, I think it'll probably be Friday because I really think that they wanted to go back, talk it over with their law clerks maybe go back and talk it over as a group. But I think they made up their mind way before the oral arguments. What are your thoughts on that? On Wednesday morning or before that, the Supreme Court was not going to allow broadcasting of this event. And I want to talk about that because I think it's so important, not only, well, like we're talking about everything that went down and A lot of people saw that process and how it worked, and I think that that's so incredibly important. The the part that gave me really, really bad feelings about all of this was that somebody with power did not want us to see what was going on there. They gave us video with no audio. Well, for a minute, but but even before that, they were saying it's not going to be live streamed, and then I mean they they kept. Switching, David probably called them 10 times on Wednesday morning 
because initially they were saying reporters can come, but they cannot record it. There will be no cell phones. And then they said WIS will be able to record it, but nobody else. And then they said... So what do you think happened? I think someone on the Supreme Court is trying to cover for somebody that is involved in all of this. And they knew that the public, they knew that the entire world was watching and they did not want that, whoever they're covering for, to be embarrassed. How did it get flipped? Do you think the governor called and said no? Was it somebody from the governor's office said no? You got it. Do you think the governor called? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Eric, you know who our governor How is? How did they reverse their decision? He did weigh in, by the way. He did. And I'll, we got to give him credit. Governor McMaster did weigh in and said he totally disagreed with this. So. Oh, no. But about the you mean about the allowing it to be live streamed or about just I'm the, asking, how did they change? Who, who? Where did the impetus come from? Oh, I, I think I mean, I'm not. We made a fuss out, out of it on Twitter <laughs> and we, we put up Justice Beatty's phone number and apparently our listeners and our followers on social really? media. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. It all happened very quickly. It did. It, it was not, you know, I think about this and I think about the person answering the phone and my apologies go to her because I know that that could not have been easy. But people said that she sounded frazzled because and I, I presume they were getting a bunch of phone calls after we tweeted that out, which I, I'm glad because I, I think that that just shows, again, that the public, first of all, the thing that we need to make clear this isn't, we weren't asking them to do anything that they don't normally do. They live stream oral arguments, all of them, and they're available. I mean, it's excellent. I want to give them credit for that. That Their archives are beautiful. And I've used them several times in my career to, to look up what happened in the course of certain cases. The fact that they decided not to do that at first with this case just goes back to what I was saying earlier, which is this is how they're behaving, knowing that the world is watching. They're, you think that after the world watched Alec Murdoch sit on that stand for two days and say Maggie and Papa and Roro, you think, and these are people- Not Maggie, Mags. That's right, Mags. You think that they're going to look away from South Carolina. Like they struck gold. Like people who are fans of this type of, not just true crime, but like this is like a real life television show that keeps throwing new twists into the plot. They're not going to look away. And so the Gerard Price case shows what we've been up against before the murders. And I think people are not, I, it doesn't matter if they live in California or Scotland or wherever. This is interesting to them. And I think, and I honestly, I do think it gives people the sort of the strength, I guess, or maybe the um, thought in their mind that they can do this same thing in their states or their hometowns. They can make these demands and see these see actual change happen. So in that half hour when they said that reporters could be there, that they just couldn't record until they started, that was one of the most – that was the longest half hour, I think, of all of our lives because of the frenetic pace of it and trying to get – we, Mandy and I were texting each other and just like, let's hope that they change their minds because, and they sure as heck did. You guys are beating Eric Allen to death. You know, our poor Eric Allen said, okay, I got my phone. I'm, I'm going to keep it on until they tell me I can't keep it off. You know, it was amazing. I know. Thank God for Eric Allen, though. <laughs> Good Lord. 
Yeah, I mean, well, woke up that morning, and and the other thing that convinced me that they were changing that they changed their process was on Tuesday I checked the website and it said next scheduled event the Gerard Price case at noon on Wednesday, and it said we will be broadcasting this, and then woke up Wednesday morning and it's gone. And something does, it just did not sit right with me. And again, it's just so crazy when it's a case about transparency and it's a case that the problem is back backroom deals and secret orders and things like that, that they, uh, that somebody in power is still trying to be sneaky about this. That's what... That was my takeaway, and I hope, I hope, I hope that it was no one on the Supreme Court. But somebody, is, I would love to know who made that decision and how that went down. And I'm not sure how to figure that out, but I, I really want to because that was really wrong. And and again, it should not take that many people calling. It should not take the fact that we have we're we are very blessed with a very active and a very pesky audience and a big one we're very blessed with that but like a lot of people don't have those situations and instead of it getting to that point maybe the government should have just done the right thing to begin with and said we're gonna eat we're gonna eat this one like we're gonna look bad but we have to be transparent about it and we have to just continue with protocol and we can't just hide this because we don't want someone to look bad what would have happened if it was a three two vote the other way what do you think the reaction would have been? What would what would have really happened, Liz? I think that there would have been an outcry. I I think Mandy, as you were talking, I was I was realizing that. Yeah, I don't know if it's a realization that I'm just having now, but sort of putting it into words. So we come on board, right? And now we have a platform where we can affect change in a in a very quick way, it seems. But there's so many people in South Carolina who have witnessed what goes on and have tried in their way to fix it or bring attention to it or have, you know, just done the best that they can in the job that they're in, but who who can tell, who know that this is wrong. And so I think that we have sort of jimmied the door open a little bit for people. So when we put that out there and say that this is happening, it might not, you know, it's nothing new to people uh, in South Carolina, other lawyers, people who work in the legal community, just people who are interested citizens. So I think we're giving, I think that the the fact that all of this is happening is giving people more, uh, a louder voice, hopefully, in, in getting the things done that they've, they've seen for decades in many cases. So I'm going to posit something to you, uh, ladies. So like Roe v. Wade uh, and the reversal of it, you can legally get there that it was not a constitutionally based decision in 1972. You can legally get there. And you can legally make an argument that it's not a constitutional uh, decision that should have been upheld. And they did that. And they saw the backlash, the real backlash in Wisconsin, in a Republican state across the midterms would happen. Was this decision more emotionally based or more legally based? Did Did the justices make a decision because the public outcry would have been so bad because legally you can make a decision. You can say that there was a loophole here that Price could have gotten this dispensation. So what I'm asking you is, did the three justices look at this and say, 
man, if we make a legal decision here and we say it's okay for Gerard Price, what is the public backlash? So I'm basically asking, was this a, a, a public policy more than a legal decision is really what I'm trying to say. I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier. I do think that this is probably more of a policy and more of an emotional decision because with Rutherford, we could see, and that was kind of my fear in reading his response, is that I thought he had some sound legal arguments. And and the same thing, like I'm pro-choice, but I can understand legally how they were able to reverse Roe v. Wade. Like I, I understand that. But yeah, I do think so. And I think that that's exactly what they were telling us uh, that like give us, they were, they were kind of, I can't remember if it was Justice Few um, or James, but one of them was basically banging without like give us the vehicle to get there. Yeah, he said we can't, can't equity. We can't use equity to get there, which equity means fairness. No, that's, what, that's what it means. Just fairness. He said, you've got to give me some kind of law that lets me do what I want to do. I don't want to do it based on fairness because that's not a legal reason. So I, I really, you know, as a lawyer in me, I want to make sure that they did it legally right and both public policy and legally right, not just one over the other. But that, I think it's the thing is, is this, is that so we got the decision within a couple of hours or was it less than a couple of hours? I can't remember. But we got the decision the same the same afternoon. I think the idea that they should have taken longer with their decision um, because they didn't have any sort of background to what they based their decision on. Right. It was simply like this is how we decided and then we respectfully dissent. Had they done something that was more robust that explained their thinking and how they got there, I think that that would have been much better. But I think also maybe that's just them not wanting to put on the record because it is such a touchy situation. But yeah, I think it was emotional. And then I want to mention one thing too. So there was a point where Justice Beatty and uh, Justice James were blaming Alan Wilson for this, like I said. And what was interesting to me is that Mandy was looking through Todd Rutherford's record in the legislature, and she found where he had introduced uh, an, sort of an amendment or some sort of uh, revision or addition, rather, to the law at, at, uh, in question here, which is the substantial assistance law. As it stands, this the solicitor has to make the motion to get it there, to get the circuit court judge to be able to make that decision to shorten the the term of somebody's prison sentence. Todd was trying to get it so that the AG could also make a motion to get the circuit court judge to do that. So as it stands, I guess the AG's office can't do that, technically, I suppose. So it was interesting to me that that, that the Supreme Court judges were making an argument that this was on Allen. Wow. How? How would it be on him? Yeah, at the very same time that Al, that Todd's sitting there, like not—I mean, he's not going to offer this information, but he was trying to get the law changed so that Alan could also participate in in this in the future. They didn't notify him, right? They didn't notify him. I mean, how's it Alan's fault in December? They were saying that because Alan is technically uh, he isn't he's a supervisor of all solicitors in the state. He's, which he's the supervisor of the police. So, so what happens when you have a rogue solicitor? Is that Alan's fault? 
Okay, so let's, let's, yeah, let's talk about that, Mandy. Let's talk about that because you and I were like, oh, good. It's on the record because what about Duffy Stone? What are we going to do about Duffy Stone, Alan Wilson? So that, that is now that, you know, hey, you're the supervisor. It's, it's, you nodded your head when they said it. So <laughs> it's like, let's see you supervise. Let's see some evidence of that supervision. Right. Like, and again, I think that our laws kind I, I do think that there needs to be more clarity there as to what a, I, I'm not sure what Alan Wilson can and can't do as far as supervising solicitors, but um, it's interesting. You said that as, uh, as the case is going on, a source of mine who uh, previously worked for Duffy Stone and is very, very, very skeptical of his behavior recently was like, who's a, a lawyer, a previous prosecutor in his office was like, oh, that's really interesting that they're putting that on the record about <laughs> they're saying that about Alan Wilson being charged of solicitors. Hmm. So now that that is on the record, I would think that Alan Wilson's going to send a memorandum to all 46 solicitors to say, if you are going to do anything regarding somebody in the uh, Department of Corrections regarding a sentence reduction, you better give me notice. I think it, now he's got the right, based on what the Supreme Court says, hey, he, he's got the right to supervise and he's going to do it or should do it. Don't you agree? Yeah. And I I just think, but, but going back to what you're saying about like, was it, was it the law or was it emotional? I think it was both. But yeah, I'm I'm reading this law, 172565. And I I still don't really get it reading it over and over again how this was able to happen legally. Have you looked at the law? I have, and I don't get it. I, it, I, it was very confusing that it, you know, it clearly does seem to indicate that substantial assistance does give somebody the basis to get a downward departure. However, you still it's still in conflict with what it means to get a full sentence, no parole, no good time. So how do you reconcile that? Right. And the argument can be made in both ways of it. it you could assume that the legislator did not include that because they wanted murderers to be able to, they wanted to, like like Todd argued, they wanted uh, people convicted of murder to have that possibility and to work with police. But at the same time, and okay, so the, the part of the law that I think that they or, are- Or you can read it that they wanted to carve mur out murderers and say, no, once you murder, you don't get a chance. Right. Right. And exactly. So it could go both ways. And then the part that I think that they're going off of is the aid to a Department of Corrections employee or volunteer who was in danger of being seriously injured or killed. But in those documents, the only proof of him doing that is like basically hearsay. And it wasn't the corrections officer who had that happen to him it was somebody else who said that that happened and then turns out we looked up the woman who and she's a girlfriend oh yeah yeah she was a girlfriend so i mean she was not credible 
So they should have gone to the source. That's what journalists do. That's what lawyers do. You don't like if you're like here, that's hearsay. Well, they could have had a hearing, even if it was a closed hearing. Judge Manning could have demanded to have that witness, the actual participating witness, come into his court and testify under oath. Right. Right. And like that would be the but again, the whole like. This woman says that she saved another woman. <laughs> that just should not have passed. That should have just been like, absolutely not. That's not going to cut it for letting a murderer out. We need more. And that's what like doesn't make sense. And I understand. I, I do think that Todd made a really, really good argument. But uh, for the circumstances that he was in. But at the same time legally and emotionally <laughs> both of those things i'm sure led to the judge's decision it does not make sense legally and it does not make sense if your ultimate goal is public safety neither one of those things makes sense well for for us you know as a partnership that we have i thought it was good for us to show that we can we can skate on ice or we can skate on the street, meaning we're not just the Murdals. We we really dove deep into this Gerard Price matter. And so it was interesting that we we got away from the Myrtle and we really asked some very hard questions. Remember, I called you about this on Monday and you said, let's jump on it. And you dove in hard to the deep end, Mandy. And this is kind of leading into why you're going crime and corruption. It's it's this is what crime and corruption is about, that we are going to uh, put sunlight on these things, whether it's in South Carolina or we hear about it in another state where you have a, your relationships with journalists across the country. You you now have given a platform to people to bring this to light and, you know, I'm almost scared to say it, but how many times does something like this Gerard Price happen that we don't know about, Mandy? Is this a one-off? Was this a one-off or was this business as usual? Right. And did you see McMaster's letter? It said that. It, it, it asked, it asked, he asked the Department of Corrections, how many times has this happened before? Tell us in the Department of Corrections gave a very vague and scary answer, which was basically, we don't know. That is scary. That's scary. Right. And it's again, like ha this, all of this, and it's great what we do. I love what we do. I love our audience. I love how active they are and I love how much they care. But at the same time, the freaking government needs to do its job on its own at some point. And they should not need the world watching them to do the right thing. But yeah, I mean, it's it's great, but it's also just really frustrating. It's really, really frustrating. And the scary thing is, how often does this happen? And I think the other question that I had, like you said on Wednesday, what would have happened if the Supreme Court, if it was reversed, I think there would have been a public outcry. I really do. Well, there should have been because that's terrifying. That means every every person, every victim who has been assured by the government that the murderer of their loved one will be put away for life or put away for 30 years, da 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 da, da it means that that means nothing now. That that person can broker information 
and they're going to have information. They're going to get it through snitches, other people in prison that they could broker information. So a sentence doesn't mean a sentence anymore. Right. And it's terrifying. It is. Totally. And in like, as we're all coming off of the Smurdoch case, that part of it was really scary because it's like, Alex has a lawyer, lawyer, he's got all of the ingredients that Price has. He's really good with, he's really good with people. He's got a lot of powerful people behind him. Solicitors, judges, he's got that. He could get them to sign something. And you know that in his portfolio, he knows some things that could take some people down. You know that. Right, right. And so it just totally would have dismissed so much progress in the justice system if they would have ruled differently. And I think, thank God that they realized that. And I'm, I'm glad that it went down the way that it did. And we'll be right back. Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. It has done wonders for our seasonal allergies. We recently started feeling the effects of spring. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, sinus congestion, and pressure with ease. Ready to live life as if you don't have any allergies? It is time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. Let's talk about um, what's coming up in May, which is really exciting. We got so many different things. We have the victims uh, assembly at the state house on May 9th, where you're going to speak and I'm going to uh, speak to the press. We, it's really neat that victims are being heard and they have a platform. It's not just Sandy Smith. It's the Bowens. There's other uh, victims of crime and family that are going to be speaking that Sarah Ford is, um, you know, put together, which is really exciting because for a lot of our uh, past years, victims have kind of been left uh, out of it, out of the decision making process. So that is um, really exciting. And then why don't you talk about what you guys are doing with crime and corruption? Why are you doing it? And what does it mean for all of us and our audience? 
I'm really excited about the victims rally and I, and I'm thinking about the words that I want to say and really taking that seriously because what I think has been wrong with the system for so long is just the lack, like you said, the lack of focus on victims. Like it's about everybody else and they just get left behind and afterthought, the afterthought. And there's just no empowerment behind them. I was thinking about uh, what you had said, I think in the last episode, Mandy, when you were talking about who the AG's office works for and who solicitors work for and who law enforcement works for and how in particular when it comes to prosecutors, they really see themselves as working for the state, not for the victims. And whether that's because they need to create, I know legally, yes, that is true. But I think that does help create some sort of emotional distance between the people that were harmed by the person that they are prosecuting. I think the question now is where do we go from here? And the state recognized this week that they, that there was a major error and they're in the process of fixing it. But I think that. Are they fixing it? Whoa, 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 whoa. What do you say? Where, where do you get that they're fixing it? They just made a decision on Gerard Price where's the fix coming? Right. And that's what we need to focus on. That's it's a bandaid, the Gerard price thing. We need somebody that we trust to go after all of this and to assure the public that they are investigating exactly what happened and that they will be transparent about that process. And I don't think Alan Wilson needs to point us. I don't like it when the United States government keeps appointing special prosecutors when we have an attorney general. Let's let Alan Wilson, do the job. Why doesn't he start an investigation to find out how this happened so that it doesn't happen again? I don't think we need, you know, another special prosecutor. If Alan Wilson was so um, uh, adamant that this was wrong, then he's going to start an investigation. He should go before the Judiciary Committee. He should propose uh, new legislation. So this it will not happen again. I don't want this to be a one off. That's our fear. Mandy, that they just took care of it on the Gerard Price matter, but this could happen again. Right. And I mean, I, I'm with you and I hope, I hope, I just have such little faith in the government. I'll be very honest. Um, Alan Wilson's done a good job so far um, with the Murdoch stuff. Well, I, I think now is the time. I think that when David Pasco was the special prosecutor during the Quinn affair, that was an uphill battle, obviously, for him. And I think now that because we do have momentum, I think we should capitalize on that. And I think Alan Wilson needs to send a message. Why can't he do it in his office? Do it? Why do you always have to appoint a special prosecutor? He He's the attorney general. He stood before the well of the Supreme Court. He voiced as hard as he could that this was wrong. And so he should... Uh, appoint somebody like Creighton or, you know, another uh, assistant AG to go look into this and find out where it's happened, find out how many times it's happened, and then go before the Senate Judiciary Committee and the House Judiciary Committee and say, here's the loophole. We're going to close it. I think it sends a message that you are going to be held accountable by your peers. And that's what I think. And I don't know that he could find somebody, you know, that is completely disinterested in the state of South Carolina. But I don't know. I think when you bring in a special prosecutor, not only allows them to um, this is it for them, you know, to make or break their career in a way. But I do think that it allows for some sort of independence and 
maybe you have somebody who's willing. I mean, what if he appointed somebody like Mark Tinsley, for instance, you know? Well, you know, Jim Griffin was a special prosecutor underneath uh, David Pascoe for all of those political uh, charges for those, you know, Harrison and all the others, Quinns, and Jim Griffin was a prosecutor. It's Justice James, uh, when he brought up the fact that he put on the record with Alan Wilson that this wasn't a problem caused by legislator lawyers, that this, you know, he wanted to get Alan to say that, right? That bugged me because it's, again, it's them. Oh, they gave a free pass to Todd. They definitely did there. Right. And it's a free pass to Todd, but it's also a free pass to the system. And they just keep insisting that it's working well and it's fine and dandy and we all know better. So... It's just, it, it was aggravating. Uh, and hopefully, hopefully people can see that beyond just us pointing it out. Right. And I saw a lawyer legislator on Twitter. I can't even honestly remember his name, but he made a point to be like, so this needs to say, like the Supreme, it needs to say that the Supreme Court, who usually sides with lawyer legislators, didn't side with a lawyer legislator and the system is fine. And that really bothered me because it's not fine. That's just an example of it working. And the only reason why it worked is because there was all these people watching. I don't think I don't think any of this would have happened. You are 100 percent right. If the squeaky wheel, if the squeaky wheel wasn't getting squeaky, there wouldn't have been any grease. Right. Like they wouldn't have done anything. Like, let's be honest. It is not working for a majority of people. It is working for a very, very slim portion of the population, which is, sorry, but white male lawyer legislators are like at the top of the totem pole in South Carolina. It's their rule book that Todd is working with. Right. They've created it. They've created it. I mean, I've, I spent nights and nights looking through all of Todd's bills that he has done in, while he has been working for the state of South Carolina, and so many of them benefit him as a lawyer and benefit his job, Necess- not necessarily the public, but his job. Some, granted, are probably good for everybody, but... You can't ignore that. And when it comes to this and when it comes to a situation that is this egregious and is this outrageous, I think that we all have to take a step back and be like, are these people actually doing their jobs and what needs to happen to fix the system? Because it's very, very, very broken. All right. Cups down, guys. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) cups down. That was a good, good note to end on, Mandy. I love that. Yeah, cups down. Cups down. This Cup of Justice episode is created and hosted by me, Mandy Matney, with co-host Liz Farrell, our executive editor, and Eric Bland, attorney at law, a.k.a. the Jackhammer of Justice. From Luna Shark Productions. (laughs) 